Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damien Kristoff. And I'm Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness to our lives. And today we are very honored to actually have Professor Peter Howell. Uh, he's a professor of nutrition research and a director of Clinical Nutrition Research Center at the University of Newcastle and a junk professor at both the University of Adelaide and the University of South Australia, your neck of the woods there, Brett. With his extensive track records of uh, you know clinical research, he's written over 250 papers and had over 8,000 uh, citations. Uh, he's also recognized as an authority on the cardiovascular and metabolic health benefits of omega-3, and that's why we have him on to the show. Well, welcome to the Wellness Guy Show, Professor Howe. Good morning. Professor Howe, it's very exciting to have you on here, and I first read about you um, when Blackmore's uh, sent out a, a, a big message saying, hey, we're putting on a symposium and we've got Professor Howe, and I thought, who's this Professor Howe guy? So I thought I'd go and do a little Google search, and there you were, and some of the information that I read, I was just blown away with, so I contacted Pauline, and she said, yes, you can interview him, so very happy to have you here. So it is great. So Peter, I, I, I'm fascinated to know. Um, Obviously, your research is taking us down the heart health um, space. What are you noticing at the moment with regards to health, heart health uh, in Australia with regards to omega-3 fatty acids? Well, I think heart health in general has actually improved uh, enormously in our society um, um, over the last uh, few decades. Um, and uh, I think both... Um, uh, drug management and uh, improvements in lifestyle, um, management of uh, dietary um, lipids and uh, blood cholesterol levels has had an important role to play. Uh, and I think there's a, a lot further that we can go. In fact, I think a, a lot of the emphasis now is shifting on from looking at um, um, the direct impact of uh, cholesterol and uh, atherosclerosis, coronary artery disease, uh, to looking at the um, burgeoning impact of the epidemic of obesity. I, I think uh, it's fair to say that um, um, that's an overriding concern, contributing not only to cardiovascular disease, but uh, also increasing the, the risk of diabetes and um, particularly um, contributing to um, impacts on um, 
cognitive performance and other aspects of mental health and uh, I guess uh, also contributing to the increased uh, risk of dementia. And uh, I think we've, we've now got to look at uh, what is good for a, an ageing population to help us to maintain the quality of, our, um, uh, of life um, as, as our um, uh, age span continues to in- increase and to ensure that these um, chronic diseases don't um, uh, overburden us, as I think uh, they're threatening to do with our health system. So we've still got to be looking all the time at diet and lifestyle strategies to optimise our health and um, you know reduce the risk of not only heart disease but um, other <clears throat> metabolic uh, uh, disorders that can impact on us and uh, I think that the omega-3 fatty acids do have an important role to play here. Peter, um, I think you're absolutely right. The, the rise of those chronic diseases is is really concerning and obviously from a, from a health impact, from a budgetary impact, it, it's getting very large. So I'm really curious when you said that, uh, you know, we've improved in regards to heart health and by that do you mean uh, has our incidence of heart health decreased or are we managing it better? Or are we just dying from it less or, or is it a bit of all of the above? I think it's a bit of uh, all of the above. I think we're um, uh, actually managing uh, the conditions a, a lot better. Treatment, uh, invasive surgery, uh, these are all very expensive. Uh, I think um, obviously uh, whatever we put into um, uh into lifestyle measures other than simply lip service is going to generate enormous returns for us. But the thing is that we do need to um, get the messages right. Um, We need to be clear about this and uh, I for one as somebody who's um, worked, uh, uh, done research in relation to omega-3s and their health benefits for the last 30 years. Um, In fact, uh, um, a number of us in Australia were very much at the forefront of the early research worldwide in in terms of um, uh, elucidating health benefits of omega-3s. But um, even after such a long period of time, uh, it's disappointing to see that whilst there's a uh, increasing level of public awareness of uh, omega threes. There's still a lot of um, misunderstanding and debate uh, as to the, the benefits uh, that can be obtained by whom, uh, under what um, circumstances, uh, what are the optimal um, forms of omega three, um, the appropriate dose requirements for different conditions, how strong the evidence is, etc. And I think there's an awful lot of confusion out there, not only amongst consumers, but uh, amongst the people who are advising consumers. And um, that's disappointing to me as a researcher, because um, um, there's a lot that we do know. Um, there's also a lot that we still need to, um, uh, to confirm with high-quality um, uh, clinical research and um, certainly like to see a lot more of that done. But um, we certainly need to uh, be able to be very clear about the um, um, benefits that we can talk about, uh, uh, bearing in mind that um, the underlying uh, physiology here uh, for omega-3 fatty acids is is very complex. Um, so, you know, it is challenging to understand. And um, when people, you know, ask 
you know, how important is EPA versus DHA? Should I be taking krill oil or fish oil or just eating fish? Um, and if so, how much? Um, all those questions, um, I think, need to be clarified. So, Peter, just to clarify, before we go on to that, because I know there's some great information you want to share with us on, on all of those topics you just mentioned, but in terms of the incidence of heart disease, is that going up or down or staying about the same in terms of the actual onset? Um, I'm probably not the best person to give you a clear answer on the um, uh, epidemiology and um, the um, you know current statistics for heart disease um, in Australia. Um, as far as I understand, uh, the um, position here is has improved uh, substantially um, uh, since the initial um, interventions to modify um, cholesterol levels with um, uh, you know um, public um, um, health strategies to reduce um, consumption of saturated fats and cholesterol but uh, at the same time of course we've had uh, uh, the introduction of um, very effective uh, drugs for lipid management, um, so uh, and and of course uh, great advances in um, uh, in surgical procedures to um, uh, to manage heart disease. So, um, not surprisingly, one would expect that there would be a, a decrease in um, uh, morbidity and mortality, but um, whether the underlying factors are being managed uh, to the extent that we would hope and, and uh, the risk of um, developing um, uh, disease in coronary arteries, um, that, I, that I can't answer. So, Peter, I'd love to just clarify a couple of things um, for our listeners. Is that you know where does you know, obviously omega three has been you know promoted uh, in in the nutrition space? Uh, you know how healthy is it and how important it is for our lives, um, for our heart health. Could you just explain to our listeners sort of why is it so important? And you know if we are going to choose because uh, there's so much confusion out there, uh, like you said, where do we start? What are we looking for uh, when someone looks at a product between one brand versus another? Well, I think we got to understand first of all that um, uh, the long chain omega-3 fatty acids that we get from marine sources are uh, another component of our diet. Um, we would regard them as an essential component. We can derive um, these substances um, to a, um, a limited extent uh, by eating plant sources of the precursor omega-3 fatty acid, alpha-linolenic acid. But um, the uh, conversion of that to the beneficial long-chain fatty acids, in particular EPA and DHA, is very limited. Um, and for that reason, um, we do better to eat the direct sources. So seafoods uh, and, of course, um, Oils derived from um, uh, marine sources uh, have high levels of these long-chain omega-3 fatty acids preformed. So um, we would recommend that people actually uh, obtain an adequate intake um, from those levels. And in fact, we have established uh, in Australia and New Zealand um, uh, guidelines uh, based on an adequate intake, uh, which varies um, slightly between men and women, but uh, for a, a, adults, um, 
it's uh, of the order of um, uh, 90 um, milligrams per day for um, uh, for women and 160 for men. And we've also set a target intake of 430 milligrams for um for women and 610 milligrams per day for men. Um, we were one of the first places in the world to actually establish that as a, a official government uh, um, policy or, or recommended guidelines. Um, and uh, it's actually um, fairly much in line with the consensus of experts uh, around the world and uh, our Heart Foundation in Australia, where the recommendation was um, 500 milligrams um, of omega-3s per day. In fact, uh, that's now been modified slightly to suggest that people eat or consume 250 to 500 milligrams per day. Now, um, what does that mean? How do you get that? Um, uh, it's been suggested that you can get that by eating two serves of um, fish per week or three or four serves, depending on who you ask. That really depends on what fish you're eating. And um, it needs to be an oily fish so that you've got a, a reasonable content of the oil that contains these long-chain omega-3 fatty acids. And um, there again, there's a lot of confusion. In Australia, we don't uh, have um, that many oily fish available um, as people perhaps in the um, who obtain their fish from the North Atlantic waters. And of course, uh, even if we do um, uh, produce um, oily fish by aquaculture, for example, farm salmon, um, how much oil and how much of the long chain omega-3s are in the oil will depend very much on uh, uh, the um, uh, what the fish are actually fed in the aquaculture system. Absolutely. So, yeah, so there's a lot of potential variation there. One thing um, that we can be reasonably confident of, to, despite um, uh, you know some of the um, uh, recent uh, controversy over this, is that um, uh, the fish oil capsules that are um, marketed extensively in Australia. Um, tend by and large to conform to certain international standards of production and uh, therefore uh, contain a fairly standardised amount of um, uh, these long-chain omega-3 fatty acids. So if you're wanting to make sure that you, um, uh, you know, achieve um, those recommended targets, um, Supplementing your diet um, with the um, uh, fish oil capsules is is one way of um, uh, of ensuring that. And uh, um, whilst uh, you know, obviously, uh, people would prefer to be able to obtain their nutrients um, uh, within their diet, together with other beneficial nutrients, um, uh, as indeed uh, are provided by fish. Um, as I said, that's not always possible. There's a lot of variation. Not everybody has access to um, to fish, although I must say that's improved. Um, obviously, there are a lot of concerns about sustainability of the fish supply and so on. There are other issues. But I think uh, the other point that we need to take on board is that these recommendations, um, these consensus recommendations for how much long-chain omega-3 we should be consuming are based on population assessments by and large. And um, we're all individuals and we know that um, 
the way in which we um, uh, um, absorb these long-chain omega-3s, their bioavailability um, and uh, the potential impact that they can have on our health will vary uh, from one individual to another and age and gender, um, pregnancy, for example, other factors uh, are likely to influence um, uh, those outcomes. So I really think we need to um, recognise that um, the omega-3 intakes could and should be tailored to suit individual needs. And That's a great point. The, one, uh, I was, yes. As you were talking about that, Peter, I was thinking I've heard at times um, speakers, you know, speaking on omega-3 supplementation and fatty acid supplementation, um, refer to different types of extracts, you know, extracts that might be 50% standardised or 30% standardised. Um, and so that w seems to me that there may be some variability in the um, availability of the EPA and DHA that we're talking about right now um, in the capsule form or the liquid form. But then also some people have said that you need approximately a 1,000 milligrams of um, fish oil per 10 kilograms of body weight. And so, But you're saying a recommended daily allowance would be about 610 milligrams. Um, it's, there's so much confusion out there for... And I'm a health professional, so there's a lot of confusion out there for the general public. What, what's a more accurate figure... There. Well, that was the figure um, set as a target um, in Australia and New Zealand for men. Right. 430 was the target for women. Mm. I must say those figures are very arbitrary. They're based, on the, they're based on the 90th centile of intakes in Australia. So these are the sort of formulas that are worked out by um, the, the people who make these recommendations. As I said, when you look at the, those figures, they approximate... 500 milligrams per day, uh, which has uh, been a general recommendation by uh, a number of organisations internationally for uh, adults. Um, uh, as I said, the, the Europeans um, uh, have uh, recommended 250 milligrams per day. But at the end of the day, it really um, depends on what level um, of omega-3 status you achieve in an individual. Mm -hmm. and Peter, those, whether those figures important. then are based on what people uh, what people consume rather than what people require? Is that what you're saying? Uh, initially, yes, um, which is really a default position uh, because the evidence for what people actually require is, is very limited and depends on um, uh, the, well, the European figure of 250 milligrams a day does seem to be linked to an early meta-analysis of um, uh, studies looking at fish or fish oil and relative risks of coronary heart disease death. And um, uh, there was a um, an attempt to fit a, a curve to a number of points there and a point of inflection appeared at around 250 milligrams and for lack of any better evidence, um, that was accepted as a target. But, um, uh, you know, that's, I, I think that leaves a lot to be desired, whereas there, there is another approach and um, uh, this approach was um, uh, proposed more than a decade ago now and uh, that was to use the level of the long-chain omega-3s, EPA and DHA, in red blood cells as a biomarker of omega-3 status. And 
that happens to be a pretty good biomarker because it's uh, slow, slowly turning over. So um, it takes um, several months to um, uh, increase, uh, to optimally increase the uh, omega-3 levels in red blood cells, the um, um, omega-3s that are... Uh, uh, absorbed from the diet into the bloodstream are um, slowly uh, and progressively accumulated into the membranes of these um, cells and because of the slow turnover of the cells, um, they're there for, um, you know, six months or, or, or longer. Um, so this um, concept of using the um, proportion of EPA and DHA percentage of total fatty acids in red blood cell membranes um, became a useful biomarker of omega-3 status and has been termed the omega-3 index. And more importantly, uh, it was shown that this omega-3 index was um, significantly inversely related to risk of um, cardiovascular disease in a... Um, a uh, number of major trials. Most of the major trials that have uh, been undertaken at the time looking at omega-3s and um, cardiovascular disease um, were incorporated into an analysis uh, whereby they showed that people who had an omega-3 index of uh, 4% or less were um, at higher risk of cardiovascular disease, whereas those with a level of 8% and above had um, uh, greater cardiovascular protection. And it was proposed that this could be used not only as a biomarker of omega-3 status, but as a new um, index um, uh, or risk factor, particularly of sudden cardiac death. And in fact, when the data was looked there in relation to the um, omega-3 index and, and risk of um, uh, sudden cardiac death, there was a very clear and strong inverse relationship. And in fact, it was stronger than for any other um, typical um, blood-borne um, risk factor that was being measured at the time. Well, that um, seems to make a lot of sense, Peter. I mean, that seems like a much more logical way of measuring it. Um, Peter, I'd well, it does because what it's, what it's doing is it's saying for an individual, rather than, you know, say, um, take 500 milligrams of, of omega-3s a day, but should that be coming from fish or fish oil or krill oil? Do they all have the same bioavailability? Do they deliver the same effect? We know that that's going to vary with individuals. So why not actually measure the omega-3 level in the individuals Very and cool. know exactly what Very their cool. status is? Absolutely. And that brings me back to something I wanted to ask you about earlier, Peter. You were mentioning the farmed fish. And, and I think a lot of people want to know this. I mean, obviously, there's a quite a diversity there depending on what those fish are being fed. But, but how much does that impact on the EPA – or sorry, the, uh, the omega-3 levels – in, in the fish, you know, how much of a variety is there based on, I guess, a fish that was perhaps fed in a not-so-ideal way versus a, a natural fish? Well, depends on the fish. And, uh, um, you know, when you say natural fish, uh, wild fish, um, their omega-3 levels will vary too according to seasons and, um, you know, where the waters that they're, they're in. But uh, you, you get a fair amount of variation in the omega-3 levels of fish. And uh, at one stage, um, people did research to um, 
demonstrate that farm fish had lower omega-3 content, but I think in the initial study that was done, the farm fish were actually being fed a very good diet of sardines or whatever, pilchards, and uh, they actually had higher levels than their wild counterparts. So, um, you know, there's a lot of variation there. And, you know, same question with fish oil and krill oil. Um, people have recently, finally, actually measured the... Uh, levels of incorporation into the red blood cells, this measure of omega-3 status, this long-term measure. And when they do that, despite arguments for krill oil having greater bioavailability or whatever, if they were given exactly the same amount of EPA and DHA um, uh, in whatever oil they were... Um, uh, ...end up with the same level of um, um, EPA and DHA incorporated into the red blood cells. There was no significant difference. Oh, and that's, that's important at yeah. the end of the day to actually, um, you know, be able to address that question. The, uh, and the same thing applies to um, uh, vegans, for example, where um, uh, the, uh, people have actually measured the omega-3 levels in the red blood cells and um, I often quote a, um, an early study done right back in the 1970s, one of the first studies looking at these red cell fatty acid levels and uh, uh, whereas the um, uh, omnivores in this study had an um, average omega-3 index of 6.6%, which we would say is middle of the road but not, not as high as uh, it could or should be to uh, minimise cardiovascular risk, the vegans in the study had an average omega-3 index of 2%. And one would have to question um, whether that's um, putting them at increased risk uh, of cardiovascular disease. That's a good question. That's a great question. Just quickly before we have to finish up, Peter, because um, this has been this interview is flying, um, you're saying that there's, I'm, I'm going to stage this question because I like to do that. Uh, you're saying a couple of things. One, you said that krill is no better than um, normal fish oil um, in terms of the study with regards to omega-3 saturation in the red blood cells. So is that the same for anchovy and mackerel and the same across all the fish? It's all about the same? Uh, well, where there have been studies done looking at this biomarker, uh, that's the red cell omega-3 fatty acid levels or the omega-3 index, um, uh, I think we're, we're not seeing um, the advantage with these different sources. But uh, that, that will vary according to the product. But uh, all I'm saying at, at the end of the day is that we should be measuring um, this biomarker of omega-3 status and recognising also that it's going to vary for individuals. And before we start making recommendations for how much uh, omega-3s people should be taking or from what source or for what particular health benefit that they're seeking to uh, uh, obtain, um, then I think, first of all, we need to know what their initial omega-3 status is. They might have a perfectly adequate level of omega-3s and um, uh, have no need to be taking supplement or eating more seafood <laughs> than they already are. That's a great uh, so yeah, great. I think, uh, you know, it's like, um, as I've said before, um, uh, 
contemplating um, uh, giving somebody an antihypertensive drug or a statin without ever measuring their blood pressure or their blood cholesterol levels. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. So we have this... Where, do, where, uh, pe- where can people get this test done? Is it something they can go to the GP and get this test done or is it a, a integrated... Not, not, at, not at the moment because we're not offering it in Australia. Oh, um, even though the concept has been around for more than 10 years, we can... Um, get people to take a finger prick blood sample and send it off uh, on a uh, uh, dried filter paper in an envelope to a um, lab in the US or Europe that mm-hmm. will provide this test. But currently, uh, because of the, the, the lack of interest, uh, it's not being done in Australia. It could be set up quite easily here. Um, I would, so we need a lab to do it in Australia. That's what yeah, I, I, think, I think really the, the preference is um, to actually have the, the test uh, undertaken as um, part of a, a routine blood test uh, when a patient goes to his GP and has his cholesterol or blood sugar or whatever checked. It would make sense to me so if you can keep people off statins and taking fish oil instead. That sounds like well, a smarter particularly opportunity. Since there's not only the likelihood that um, this um, measure of omega-3 status will provide a, a useful indicator of cardiovascular risk, but we've also seen and I've published um, um, uh, a review to suggest that um, it could also be a useful guide to some aspects of mental health and particularly um, uh, um, in association with um, with mood, with depression, um, and also with um, uh, cognitive performance, particularly um, in light of some of the um, observations that we've made um, uh, in relation to cognition, ranging from um, young people with ADHD through to a study that we did in um, uh, older folks uh, who've been diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment where we were seeing benefits um, associated with increases in the um, levels of, in particular, DHA in the red blood cells. So Peter. there's a whole sc- a scope for uh, other uh, applications um, uh, quite uh, independent of the uh, cardiovascular health benefits. Peter, it's been a fascinating interview. Thank you so much for your insights. And, uh, you know, I know you're a busy man, so thank you for taking the time to be on our show. Um, guys, make sure you, uh, you know, join Peter. If you're interested in more of the stuff, he will be presenting at the Blackmore Institute Symposium. Uh, we'll leave the link to that, that event on our show notes uh, by going out to thewellnesscouch.com, go to the Wellness Guys podcast on this particular episode, and uh, go check it out there. Guys, make sure you go to our Facebook page, The Wellness Guys, and also The Wellness Couch. Like us there, comment below this particular episode, and let us know what you think. Share this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a comment and uh, also give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example. Let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guy Show. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.